Grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8, and we're really jumping into the middle of a conversation between Jesus and some religious leaders that we started looking at last week, where Jesus said, uh, talked about knowing the truth and the truth setting you free, and the kind of discussion and debate that went around about all of that uh, with them. So that's what we're going to pick up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to ju- just jump into those things together. So let's bow our heads and our hearts together. Let's pray uh, with one another. Father, we are so thankful to you for what we've been able to sing to you this morning, what we've been able to read about you, and what the verses we've been able to share about you. Father, we thank you that you invite us to draw close to you, and that you invite us to, to, to express and to see the affection that you have for us. And Father, we pray as we spend time this morning thinking about what it means to believe in you and to really believe in you in a way that would be undistracted and undistorted. Father, we pray you would help us in these things. Father, we thank you that Jesus is God. God, the Son, that He has been sent by you for us to bring us into relationship with you. And so, Father, we pray that we would not take those things lightly, that we would seek to press in and lean in to know Him more. Father, we pray as we think about this in this series of abiding in you, of seeing the surpassing worth of, of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us in all of these things this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Abraham is really the kind of, has become really in many ways a crux character in this whole discussion that we see in John chapter eight. Okay, he's a crux ca- character. We see that he's really been the kind of basis of a lot of the uh, the debate that's going on between Jesus and those he's engaging with. It was really uh, they, they 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 claimed that last week as we saw that we are offspring of Abraham and have never been. Insul- enslaved to anyone. We saw last week how preposterous a claim that was. Uh, and Jesus has acknowledged the, the kind of idea of, the, of what it means to be children of Abraham. And, and so maybe we want to start off by thinking, well, who was Abraham? Well, Abraham was an interesting character. He, he was famous, but flawed. Maybe that's how we would say flawed, but famous uh, for some godly things. He had some stellar examples of obedience in his life. And also some areas where he messed up monumentally, and in some ways, like many old, many Bible characters, reflects much of what would be true of ourselves and our own relationship with God. Uh, but the obituaries are in, and and if you look through the whole, the, look through God's Word, if you look through the Bible, you you'll see uh, time and time again the name of Abraham pop up. Hebrews eleven eight would be a good example of that. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out, called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So that willingness to step out in obedient faith with God. Um, or, or, or how about this in Genesis 15, 6, which is echoed again in Galatians 3, verse 6. And also in James 2, 23, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's really, if you, if that, that is really the dominant verse that remembers who Abraham was, that he believed the Lord and God counted that to him as righteousness. And James 2, 23 nicely adds on to the end, and he was called a friend of God. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be, to be described as a friend of God? Or Hebrews 6.15 describes how Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. But really that kind of dominant idea was of the belief of God and how that was counted to, God, counted to him by God as righteousness. So Abraham is someone who gives us glimpses of what Jesus perfectly brings. Like many of the Old Testament characters, he is a character who points us towards Jesus and some of the things that, and some of the things that Jesus was going to bring. But for the Jews that Jesus is spending time with here in John 8, Abraham had 
becomes something different to them rather than somebody who, who, who was designed to point them towards God's perfect and eternal plan rather than being someone who pointed them towards the realization of those plans with the Messiah coming he'd become something different he'd become an emblem of spiritual complacency of self-righteousness and of personal and national pride that's who Abraham had become to them so in this conversation, all of those things which were tied up in how they allowed their understanding of Abraham to shape how they viewed themselves towards God, all of those things were leading them to identity and security in places that were not Jesus, were not the Messiah. It was that they were, it was that they were, they were, they were spiritually deaf. It was they were spiritually missing the point entirely. Although God's word was clear that somebody would come and, and Jesus was really starting through his miracles and through his teaching and through the authority with which he carried himself with, he was starting to point towards the reality that he was the one, the promised one, he was the Messiah, the one that was promised to Abraham. They were missing the point, they had lost sight of that. And, 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 and before we get too hard on the, the, the Jewish listeners that Jesus was encountering here, before we get too hard on them, we also got to be, be, be aware that in ourselves we have a tendency, if we're not careful, towards spiritual complacency, self-righteousness, and personal pride. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give those things, that spiritual complacency, that self-righteousness, that personal pride, which really is looking for salvation and security in something other than Jesus. That's what those things are. We want to give them a name, okay? We're going to give them a name this morning. So imagine a little cartoon character, if you would, this morning, and we're going to give him a little, he's going to get a little name badge in a moment. So let's give him, maybe not Abraham, because we don't really want to drag Abraham into our mess in the way that these people were, that Jesus was speaking to. So this morning, we're going to call that person Abe, okay? So we all have an Abe. We all have an inner Abe, which is our spiritual complacency, self-righteousness, and personal pride. We all have this inner Abe, which is our tendency to, to see security and identity or security and salvation in something other than Jesus. So we all have an inner Abe, okay? So we're going to call it, call it that, okay? So the, you have your little cartoon character. Maybe kids, you want to draw that cartoon character at home, I don't know, and write the little name Abe, and we're going to think a little bit about what, what this inner Abe, this inner Abe that we have, how the damage that he can do if we're not careful. Is it your Abe is where you go to for salvation and security that isn't Jesus? So we might consider our Abe in this regard the thing we get meaning from that isn't him, that isn't Jesus. And there are many things, we, as we, if you look at the example that we see here in John 8, there are many things we may be tempted to look to. We may look to our inner Abe, we may look to this Abe character in our lives for salvation. And that might, we might consider that to come through things like morality or morality or, or, or maybe our religious connections or maybe it's your family background, maybe one of those things. Or, or we maybe look to our Abe for salvation. So our Abe in that situation might, might look to it for also not just salvation, salvation, but security. And in that situation, our Abe might be our job or our finances or our relationships. So marriage, family, friendships, those kind of things. So we have this tendency and this temptation often to, to, to look to something other than Jesus, this Abe character, if you like, for things that only Jesus can really bring us. It's that although we may look to this Abe character for salvation and security, none of those things, none of the things we look to, none of those things that are in our Abe points us towards can ever save us and none of the things can ever amount to true security for us, which is eternal security. 
So, so, so there are some key things for us to realize when we are tempted to right, to right now listen to Abe for our salvation and security. And so we're going to look at a few of them this morning. First one is this, my Abe can't change my heart. My Abe can't change my heart. That thing that we look to, that character, that, those things that we look to for salvation and security, those Abes in our life, they can't change our heart. They show the capacity that having an Abe in your, the, the, the people that Jesus is engaging with here show the capacity that having an Abe in your life has to warp your thinking if you're not careful. For the Jews, Abraham had become a point of, as we said, spiritual complacency, self-righteousness, and personal and national pride. And, we, and we've seen that time and time again in Jesus' conversation with religious leaders and, and now a wider audience of what would be termed probably religious people. They had the theory, but without the transformation. They had the theory, but without the transformation. I wonder if that's true for you. Abraham is our father. They, they still don't get it. Jesus has just identified for them that they are coming from a different starting point from him. And in, doing so, and in doing so, there's a kindness in how Jesus addresses them here because his desire is to get them to a better spiritual place. Although they're in a different starting point to him, his desire is to get them into a better spiritual place. And, and, and this insistence that they have in claiming Abraham as their father, as that in some way preserves them or, gives them, gave them a, or, or, or gave them a sense of entitlement to things, that, that insistence in claiming Abraham as their father, although it might have been historically and genetically accurate, it was actually of no spiritual assistance. And we'll say, well, why was it of no spiritual assistance? Because, well, they're, they're, simply because of this, while Abraham might be a useful foundation for their cultural heritage, he's in no position whatsoever to change their heart. It's like we were saying earlier on in the lobby time, only Jesus can. And, and, and Jesus says, okay, you, let me give you exhibit A of, of, of why you need spiritual assistance. It goes further than just Abraham. Exhibit A is this, what is going on with them right now? Abraham is our father. If you were Abraham's father, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now here's what they are looking to do. Rather than the works Abraham did, verse 40 says, now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. You would be doing the works that Abraham did. Well, that begs the question, what did Abraham do? Well, here's God's assessment in Genesis 26, verse 5. Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The, the first thing that God says that Abraham did was the very thing that Jesus' audience here in John 8 was refusing to do. They ref, he, he listened and he followed. Abraham listened and he followed Jesus' audience here refused to listen and they refused to follow. That's what being is. It is leaning in to listen in order to follow with the entirety of your life. It's listening to God so as to be changed by Him. It's listening to God so as to be changed in order to keep His charge, to hear what He says to you to do in His Word as to, and, 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 and what He asks you to do with your life. It's allowing truth to transform you, not just inform you. It's to read this book not just for some intellectual process or intellectual information, but rather to cry out to the Lord, Lord, would you change me? 
And what, what Jesus is helping them to see, and hopefully God's Word is helping, going to help us to see this morning, is that apart from Jesus, apart from listening and following, apart from a heart that is ready to obey, then our Abe, that, those tendencies we have to our salvation and security in something other than Jesus, they can't change our hearts. And, and Jesus' design is to free us from those things. That's the truth will set us free, and we will be free indeed. Instead of doing the works that Abraham did, you seek to kill me. That's what Jesus, that's the accusation that Jesus levels. That's the assessment Jesus makes of their heart. Rather than listening to God like Abraham did, they want to end the life of the one who is God and speaks for God as God. The contradiction between what they're saying and how they're living is very, very apparent. Instead, Jesus says, if you look down, it says, verse 41, you're doing the works your father did. You're doing the works your father did. So, so what's happening there is Jesus pointing to the pattern of sin that infects every generation. Is Jesus pointing to the pattern of sin that affects our generation, that affects all of us sat in the room and all of us sat in your room at home? Or is Jesus telling them that their attempt to associate with God's promises to Abraham are as empty as God often identified in Israel throughout the Old Testament? Probably a little bit of all of those things is the reality. Certainly what he's saying to them is that their spiritual standing isn't what they think it is. If if they are living in complacency and pride and self-righteousness, then they're, they're, they're severely mistaken. If their lives are built upon those things, then their, their lives are built on that, that crumbling ground we are prone to build our lives on when we're not building our lives on Jesus and his promises. Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus elsewhere says, and that really made this whole episode, this whole encounter made me think of Matthew seven twenty one, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the, one who, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who has, not everyone who reads this book is going to come to, or has, sees himself in this book even, is going to come to God and be accepted in. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven, and the will of God the Father in heaven is that we would follow his Son, that we would listen and we would follow, that you would listen and that you would follow. Here's the reality. We become a poor imitation of whatever we make the source of identity and security in our lives. You become a poor imitation of whatever we make the source of identity and security in your life. So rather than being the being offspring that Abraham could identify with, rather than, be, than, rather than them being that, they've gone off track. They're plotting murder, They're ignoring Jesus who is the fulfillment of promises given to Abraham. And in verse 42, they they call him illegitimate. Sorry, verse 41, they call him illegitimate, to put it politely. We were not born of sexual, um, sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. You see the pride welling up within them in response to Jesus. To look at these folks on a human or worldly level, to, to, if we'd walked past them in this situation, if we'd walked past them in our everyday life, on a human or worldly level, they had all the moral chat, they had a level of religious credibility, and they also had this multi-generational family background that they were not shy to boast about. 
So at a human level, they are they, they, they might have seen to have it all sorted. But, they, but in real terms, in eternal terms, they are a living example that my Abe can't change my heart because ultimately my Abe can't get me to God. My Abe, those things I rely on other than Jesus can't get me to God. Even though they, right here they claim otherwise. They're full of their morality. They're full of their religious connections. They're full of their family background. But they're, and they're missing entirely that they can't save you. They, 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 we are the same. We miss that our jobs and our finances and our relationships can't achieve the eternal hope and peace and freedom that only Jesus can. So if your eternal security and identity are in something other than Jesus, you have an enormous eternal problem. If you're, and even if you've put your trust in Jesus, if your right now identity and security are in something other than Jesus, then you have an everyday problem because that, and that's, that's going to remove that sense of peace and freedom that Jesus has promised to give you and lies only in him. My Abe can't get me to God. I, 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 but still they, still they don't get it. Here's their counterclaim. You might argue, okay, okay, Jesus, you might argue with a relationship with Abraham, but here's something you can't debate. We have one father who's God. Try arguing with that. Again, they must under, that understanding of their relationship with God was rooted in what they understood God's promises to Abraham to be. Exodus 4, and 23 gives a picture of that. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. So that, that picture of God as father calling upon Pharaoh to release Israel, his children. Or Jeremiah 31, verse 9, describing people who would return to the Lord. And this is what it really looks like to come back to the Lord. And this is what Jesus is, 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 is diagnosing as being... totally lacking in those he's speaking to here. With weeping they shall come. This is a sign of, listen to this, this is a sign of repentance. With weeping they shall come. And with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel. That's what it looks like to have that relationship with God the Father. That's That's the thing that somebody who was genuinely living in the lineage of Abraham, what their lives looked like. Looked like. Yet Jesus is going to tell them that their claim to be part of God's family without the accompanying, accompanying heart change doesn't make sense. It's not real if there's no repentance. It's not real if, there, if Jeremiah 31 9 isn't the pattern and the sound and the approach that we take. So if exhibit A is a case against their relationship with God, if exhibit A against their relationship with God being real is their intent to kill Jesus, then exhibit B is. Their lack of love for Jesus is their lack of, is their reluctance to see him as the promised one. Verse 42 said, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, if he was really your father, if you were really living in a relationship with him, if that was true and if that was real, if God were your father, you would love me for I come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me.
He's, their reluctance to see him as a promised one, the one their, their, their defiance of him as the one who God has told Israel to watch and wait for was a testimony to some heart realities. And this is important for us to understand. The reality of our love for God is revealed in loving what he loves. And, pr- and primarily that means loving Jesus above everything else. So if you love God, do you? If you love God, you will love the one that God sent. And the way that we show that we love the one that God sent is to listen to him. It's the listen and follow peace. Jesus is saying that he's been sent by God and clear evidence and clear evidence is that they can, can't and clear evidence against him is that they can't stand what he has to say. He says, You cannot bear to hear my word. He's effectively saying, you don't understand because you aren't willing to try to listen to what God has told me to say. So God cannot be your father. Rather, and and it's interesting that people tend to think of Jesus as more easygoing than, say, somebody like Paul and something like sin. Rather, look, look what it says. Your father is the devil. Your, your father is the devil. You are of your father, the devil, verse 44, and your will is to do your father's desires. Your, your father is the devil and you're just like him. That's what he's saying. You're of your father, not Abraham, not Moses, and for sure not God, but the devil and your will to kill Jesus is to do what your father desires because the devil desired Jesus dead. And Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's a, he's a murder, the devil is a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with truth. There's no truth in him. You see, my Abe can't get me to God and the devil has spent the entirety of human history seeking to compel people to believe the reality that there's another way to God, there's another way to eternal life other than God. He was a murderer from the beginning. He lies, is divine by lies and is the father of lies. And Jesus is identifying the crux issue here for every human who has ever lived. We are caught in a liar's trap. And we thought last week, that, last week that only Jesus can set us free. And when he sets us free, we are free indeed. Jesus is telling each and every one of us that there are two families that inhabit the world. Those who are trapped in slavery with the devil as their abusive father, or those who have been set free from his lies by the son to be part of God, the father's eternal family. Those are the two choices. Those are the two households. So we choose either the house of lies or we choose the house of truth. The house of lies, which has been in operation from the beginning and is built upon the the, the deceit that led to the sin that cursed the entirety of humanity. The lies that first called into question if God could be trusted and if God was worthy. That's house number one. Or we can choose the house of truth. The truth that sets us free and straightens our path and secures us for eternity. So Jesus here says to him, and what God's word would say to us this morning, is that we ought to be so careful about what house we choose to make our home. What house we choose to abide in, what house we choose to build or place our lives. 
So he says to his listeners, you don't believe me because you don't want the change that it involves. You accuse me of sin even though you can't make it stick and you know it's not true because you're looking for an excuse and a way out of having to believe because the evidence of who I am is so compelling. My miracles and my teaching and my authority. You say you can't hear the words of God, but if you love God, you love who and what he loves. So what about you? Do you believe Jesus? Or are you resistant to that because you don't want the change that it involves? Do you accuse Jesus of sin? Do you look for ways to try and undermine the reality of who he is and what he came to do? Even though the people who lived in his day can't make it stick and knew it wasn't true. Or maybe it's you, can't, you, you can't stand to hear the words of God or you say you can't hear the words of God. The reality is if you love God, you love what he loves and you love to hear him and to live and to listen and to follow. The bottom line is this, when we refuse to believe Jesus and look for ways to reject or to decide to ignore Jesus, then Jesus' diagnosis of our hearts, if that's true of us, is, is this, you're not of God. And, and, and let's be clear about this. Jesus isn't alerting them and he isn't alerting you and he isn't alerting me to this reality because he is mean, but because he is merciful. He isn't just throwing your, he isn't just throwing your dad's the devil at them as a dirty tactic, but because he desires to deliver them, he desires to deliver you and he desires, desires to deliver me from the lies and the death and the hell that lie within the walls of the broken house that the devil was building for those who would choose to reject Jesus. So are you going to entrust your everyday living and your eternal life to a truth or to a lie? Are you going to live out the truth or are you going to live according to the lie? Our, our Abe, if you, to go back to our little cartoon character, our Abe of non-Jesus salvation or uh, salvation and security can't get us to God. It can't even get us straight in this life. We know that if we just look at our lives for half an hour. Only Jesus can. And, but, but yet we still have this challenge. The challenge is that it should be so easy for us when we look at Jesus and we open his word and we read what he has done and we, we understand who he is and we have the spirit at work within us. It should be so easy to see the reality. But the third thing that our Abe does, my Abe distorts my view of Jesus. So we're going to move just beyond a little bit beyond what, what Amanda shared, to us, shared with us earlier on into verse, verses 48 to 59. Jesus answered them, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Great promise there. My Abe, though, distorts my view of Jesus. We get back to the key question. Who do they say that Jesus is? The key question for each one and every one of us. Who do you and I say Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus is? The exposure of their identity and security by Jesus has made them angry. And, and, and often that's a response. When, when Jesus confronts our faulty worship, it tends to provoke one of either two things, either anger or awe. 
When, when we open God's Word and it confronts a sin in our lives, we either respond with anger or we respond with awe. If God sends somebody into our life to speak truth into our lives, we can respond with anger or we can re- respond with awe. That God would be so kind to, to work in us in that way. We, we either react to it or we repent of it. And our reaction to it, our anger, angry response to our sin being exposed by the light being shone in our lives happens when we have allowed something of our non-Jesus security and salvation, identity, personal pride, morality, whatever we want to call those things or whatever things are part of that when we allow them to distort our view of Jesus, allow them to take our eyes off of Jesus or to view Jesus differently from how God's word shows, us to, shows him to us. Their, their response isn't awe or repentance. They react. We've been saying it all along. It's what they say. We've seen, see, we knew it. We knew it. See, we told, I told you. I told you. He's a Samaritan. and He's got a demon in him. They're Samaritan. They, they, they react. They've been saying it all along. You're a Samaritan. Remember how much they hated the Samaritans. You have a demon. Their defensiveness of their spiritual status, their security, their identity, their reliances expose some heart realities and some belief fallacies. They, they lost sight of the fact that Abraham wasn't just designed to be their father, but what Galatians 3.8 tells us is the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So they called Jesus a Samaritan because they felt as if that was the most clear definition of what it meant to be in Abraham and have Abraham as their father. But they lost sight of the fact that Jesus had come. Jesus was there not just for the children of Abraham, those who could sing Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. As if you know that song, I'm one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg. Nod your head. You may be doing this at home. No. Okay, just me. You've left me alone. Okay. They, they had this understanding of what it meant to be children of Abraham, but they missed the much more global and amazing and awesome promise of God that Galatians 3, 8 picks up on, that Jesus had come for all the nations to be blessed. So they, and they're so narrow-minded, they're so, they're, they're so complacent and full of pride that they lose sight of the fact that Jesus has come, the Messiah was to come to do something so much greater than that. They'd allowed their discomfort of what Jesus is saying to distort their view of Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus is exposing the sin in their life. And this much we know, Jesus confronting my sin is never something that is going to leave me sitting comfortably. So we should all be careful that our desire to hold on to sin or to hold on to some non-Jesus identity or security might cause us in some ways to hate or to despise or at very least have our view of Jesus distorted. This leads to a, our, our aim, our reliance on something that isn't Jesus, leads to a distorted view of Jesus that suggests that things like our job or our finances or our relationships 
whether it's in marriage or family, are comparable to Jesus. It leans on the morality and the religious connections and the family background in such a way as might cause us to disregard our need for Jesus. And all of those things have in some way the potential to be rooted in seeking honor for ourselves. How moral I am, how acceptable I am, how sorted I feel. What we deserve and what I have built. So Jesus picks up on this theme of of honor. I honor your father and I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and he is the judge. We, 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 we have all these things. All these things have in some way the potential to, to, potential to be rooted in seeking honor for ourselves. That's what sin does. It seeks to honor ourselves, to put ourselves in the throne of our heart. But Jesus exposes that further by being willing to be dishonored in order that our self-honor system might be dismantled. Far from being demons-possessed or seeking his own glory, he is seeking to honor God the Father. In stark contrast to the angry, hate-filled heart realities of his, of his accusers that are being shown up here, ultimately all these things that we make, what we make of Jesus, what we build our lives upon, where we look to for salvation and security, Jesus is telling us here will be judged by God. The reality of who Jesus is will be revealed by God and the reality of what we've done towards Jesus and about Jesus, whether we've listened and whether we've followed, will be revealed on that day. I said, well, that sounds terrifying. But amongst all of that, he gives us this promise. If anyone keeps my word, who listens and follows, he will never see death. What an amazing promise. Where we look for salvation and security will be judged by God. And they and we will be judged on whether we have a distorted view of Jesus that that disregards him and dies or a living relationship with him that finds life. If anyone keeps his word, this is what it's telling us. If anyone abides in his word... And if anyone places their life in the center of his plans and purposes, he will never see death. Never. Jesus is talking about an eternal promise. Eternal life is the fruit of responding with awed abandon to, my, to the calls of my Abe and my Abe being exposed. Being rescued from eternal death is what happens when we believe and live, live the reality that finally my Abe is nothing compared to Jesus. And they're still pretty worked up about this. Are you, are you greater than our father Abraham, who died and the prophets died? Who, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do, not, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. See, my, there's lots of things my Abe can't do. My Abe can't change my heart. My Abe can't get me to God. My Abe can't do all those things that we've talked about this morning. My Abe can't, my, my Abe can't, my Abe distorts my view of Jesus, but my, 
My aim is nothing compared to Jesus. That's the final thing we see this morning. And if we think it is, then we're sorely mistaken. My aim is nothing compared to Jesus. Now we know that you have a demon, they say. Who even speaks of eternal life, never mind offering to be the key to it. And then they line off, list off this, they, they, they rhyme off this list of notable figures who died, Abraham and the prophets. They tasted death. Are they not included in your offer? That's what they're asking. Well, the reality is Jesus understands that they, they, they are included in your offer because they advertised the offer. They were advertising Jesus and pointing towards Jesus. Are you saying that you're greater than them? Are you greater than Abraham? That, then, this is what it comes down to. Are you greater than Abraham? And the question we might ask is, is, do we think Jesus is greater than our Abe? Do we think he's better than the thing we look for, for identity and security that isn't him? So the answer is unquestionably and eternally yes. The Abraham and the prophets advertised that Jesus actualized it. Who do you make yourself out to be? They ask. Inadvertently, they ask the single most important eternal question we need to ask. Who do we think Jesus is? Who is Jesus? He is the one who can change your heart. He is the only one who can get you to God. He is the one who allows us to know God. And his connection with Abraham and the prophets is that he is the one who fulfills the promises made to them by God. So Jesus points them towards the Father who will glorify him. Jesus is pointing forward, forward here to his death-defeating, authority-proving, eternity-giving sacrifice and resurrection. And he says, if Jesus was here, verse 46, if Je- sorry, if Abraham were here, he would be rejoicing. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He believed the promises Abraham was standing here right beside us right now. He would have been rejoicing with us. That's what your father Abraham would be doing. That's what Jesus is saying to them here. The scriptural Abraham holds a mirror up to my sinful Abe. My sinful Abe rejects the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ for the scriptural Abraham celebrated what God had promised. I love what Jesus seems to be saying here. I've met Abraham and he's stoked about this whole idea. And, 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 and his audience's minds are blowing up because they can't get their heads around the reality that Jesus doesn't just know Abraham. He created Abraham and made the promises to Abraham that they are trying to claim superior knowledge of right now. They say to him, you're 50 years old. You're saying you, 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 you know Abraham? You've seen Abraham? So Jesus says to him, truly, truly, stake your eternity on this reality. Before Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham existed, I am God is what he is saying. I am is how God chose to introduce himself to Israel. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. So Jesus is unmistakably saying to them, I'm better, greater than Abraham. I know Abraham because I am. I am God. 
Jesus is introducing himself as God the Son in the most unmistakable way. So unmistakable. If you want to know it's unmistakable, it's so unmistakable that the Jews go to pick up rocks to throw at him, to stone him, because they consider him to be blaspheming because he's making himself equal with God. He's so clearly saying, I am God. Our title this morning was, He is dot, dot, dot. And I think some people maybe see, saw that and thought, he, he forgot to put the word in at the end. No, because He is. He is God. That's what we're talking about this morning. He is God. See, my Abe is nothing compared to Jesus. My misled morality, my wrecked religion, my petty pride are hollow, empty, and tarnished when set beside Him. He is. He is God. He is all the fullness of God. He is all the meaning I can imagine. He is all the fullness that I long for. He is all the security my heart craves. He is all the promises of God. He is all the joy my soul desires. He is all the love that holds creation. He is all eternity's praise. He is all heaven's song. He is all humanity's hope. He is all satisfaction, salvation, and worth. He is the greatest glory imaginable. Jesus is all that I will eternally need. Not your Abe, not even your Abraham. Only Jesus. He is all for all eternity. Let me pray. Father, we understand our, Father, we pray you'd help us to understand our hearts in these moments. Help us to see how prone we are to trust something or someone other than Jesus to look for identity and security in something beyond him. But Father, even in these moments as we consider that he is God and as we've landed in this understanding that he is greater and the, the, the things we are prone to trust other than him are nothing in comparison to him. Help us to see in him all the fullness of God. Help us to see in him all the meaning we can imagine. Help us to see in him all the fullness that we long for. Help me to see him in him all the security my heart craves. Help us to see in him all the promises of God. Help us to see in him all the joy our soul desires. Help us to see in him all the love that holds creation. Help us to see in him all eternity's praise, all heaven's song. Help us to see in him all humanity's hope. Allow our lives, we pray, to regard him and only him as being all salvation, satisfaction, and worth. And may our lives proclaim that he is the greatest glory imaginable and that he is all that we will eternally need. Help us with these things, we pray. Free us from our petty reliances and our small trusts. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.